MFs. Muscle like you broke episode 59. Matthew Walt here jumping on the bus with some of my favorite people. Coming to you from New England where the temperatures are below freezing and snow is in the forecast. But at the moment, I feel fortunate to live in a state with no desire to secede from the Union and no plans to separate from the Eastern Power Grid. I think it's safe to say we all feel for our brothers and sisters down in Texas who have no power going on four days now at the time of today's taping. And I hope by the time we air five days from today that it has been restored. And fortunately, we at Hustle Like You Broke are a nonpartisan podcast, as we like to refer each week. We are nonpartisan, and it's a good thing because otherwise we might be compelled to point out that the Republican ideal of small government the preference to avoid costly preparations in the case of what if, the willingness to sacrifice the many to line the pockets of the few, to avoid federal regulations that require things like winterizing facilities. Hell, the choice to disband a pandemic response team because things like that are never going to happen. Well, if we were a partisan bunch, We might just point out that's why the fuck this shit happens. So it's a good thing that we're not partisan. Am I right, Sister Dallas? Absolutely. No partisanship here. None whatsoever. Because if we were, we might point out the hypocrisy of a right-leaning state calling on FEMA, a socialist organization, to come and help them in times of crisis. But of course, we are nonpartisan. So how are you today, Sister Dallas? I am great. Grateful I'm not in the state of Texas. But yeah, hanging in there, enjoying sunny Miami. And to my brother, Hamilton. Good evening. Switching gears a little bit to address another tragedy. As our resident sports guy, this just in, after a five-year minor league career, how do you feel about Tim Tebow officially announcing his retirement from baseball? He never played. He was terrible. I mean, he was a (laughs) fluke. You know, he tried, he came out football, did absolutely nothing in the football field. And did nothing on the baseball field. So he should have just stayed collegiate. He did nothing. How you really feel. He did nothing for the sport. Except show people how to hallelujah on the field and in the locker room. And that's what helped alienate him. All that luya. Sometimes you got to keep the holler to yourself. Like politics. Well... I'm sorry to announce to our audience that Brother Banks is not with us today. He's in the Keeping it, <laughs> keeping it at the collegiate level to Brother Hamilton's point. For the second week in a row, we highlight the role of higher education as a pathway to the concert industry. Last week, 
We had Dr. Ulf Osterly from Syracuse University. This week, Adam Toby and Dave Stevens from Concert Ideas. Concert Ideas is the leading middle agency in the college concert business. Adam has been with it for 25 years. He has written on a range of event production topics for campus activities programming and on the importance and relevance of the college market for Billboard magazine. Dave has been with Concert Ideas for a little more than 20 years. He also has a number of side projects, including production management and stage management for the great Boston Calling Music Festival right here in my backyard, as well as the Los Dells Music Festival and the Eau Claire Festival. So without further ado, Adam, Dave, thank you for being with us. Welcome to the program. We appreciate you. How's it going where you guys are in the world? Well, it's a lovely snowy day here in upstate New York. Winter just won't go away. But we'll take it. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's getting by. So that's all that really matters right now. And you we got a bunch of snow here in good old Indianapolis. You know, haven't had snow in two years and we get it all in like two days. So it's great. Now, define a bunch of snow for Indianapolis. Uh, I think Monday, Sunday into Monday, we got seven or eight. And then we got like another inch or two overnight last night okay that's that's legit that's not like yeah. when atlanta gets a dusting and the whole city shuts down or anything like that yep now uh we're living though <laughs> well i hope you've got your power apparently unless you're on a generator you're here with us today so we appreciate that taking it from the top i usually run through extensive bios but i'd rather you guys uh, do that for yourself. So Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Then Dave, you jump in and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, I went to University of Rochester, upstate New York. And at some point during my freshman year, there was the activities fair, like every school has, you know, come join this group or join that group. And none of it was really interesting. And I was leaving the building and their the concert committee had already started a meeting they were just doing stuff with their own schedule. Walked past the door, looked in. Someone had mentioned a band that I knew. Walked in the door, joined the committee, got on the production side. Two years later, I was the chair, did that for two years. Uh, graduated, did, a, did some gra uh, graduate work, got in touch with Concert Ideas, said, hey, do you need anybody? And then I lost track of time, and here we are in 2021. Uh, so it's, it was a pretty straight trajectory from college students programming board to running this company. It took a long time, but there was, there really was no middle ground for me. Dave. Yeah. So, uh, when I was in college, um, poli sci major, uh, did not do anything on the programming board, but somewhere around end of sophomore, beginning of junior year, I got hooked in with the, the guys that were doing all the sound and lighting uh, for a variety of events on, on campus, including in the union building. And then I think it was like by my junior year, 
like they started doing big concerts. Like we got Blues Traveler and Spin Doctors right after like they had been on Letterman the week before. And, you know, we had already had them booked, but it was just perfect timing. And um, so did all the tech work and then graduated from Gettysburg and stayed there for another two years um, as the night activities manager. So I supervised the union uh, three to midnight, Tuesday through Saturday. So I had Sundays and Mondays off um, and had a small programming budget and supervised the, the same guys that did all the tech work. You know, then, you know, we continued on. We had a little band called uh, Live that drove over from York, PA on their own and uh, did a show. And so I did that for two years and then moved down to New Orleans uh, and went to work for a smaller, uh, NACA agency booking, you know, the NACA circuit and everything worked with Daniel Tosh when he was like a $750,000, you know, comedian did that for five years, always was connected with the concert ideas people throughout the NACA and finally get, got to the point where I needed to move in order to, to, uh, get married. Um, and uh, we opened a satellite office for Concert Ideas uh, in Cincinnati and haven't looked back since then. Um, so NACA, for our listeners that don't know, is the National Association of Campus Activities. And we actually did have another guest not long ago reference NACA Hall of Fame tour manager Angie Warner talked about her experience working with NACA. Uh, I actually hung out with Angie uh, at NACA. Back I was going to say, day. Angie went to Lehigh. You said, did you go to York? So you guys, no, you went to Gettysburg. Yeah. So you guys were in the same general region. You'd have attended the same regional conferences in addition to the national. Yeah, we, we hung out when we were both agents. Uh, like we both were like new agents at our respective agencies, you know, when I was working for the smaller agency at that point, and we were both like, you know, new and, you know, we were the newbies on the block. And so we all hung out and got in trouble and uh, made fun of the, the old, older NACA associates. And, you know, I'm still now one of those older NACA associates. So Dave, why don't you real briefly tell us, uh, about a little more about the NACA and then Adam back to you. Why don't you jump in and tell us a little more about the role and concept of a middle agent, Dave? Yeah. So NACA is like, you know, as you said, it's the national association for campus activities. It's, it's the, the main programming body that, that all the, the college and university program boards attend um, regional conferences in the fall and then national convention in the spring where they see acts showcased and they do their programming um, and booking for usually the the next semester um, and they also you know it's, it's anywhere from you know your your normal small bands and and smaller comics to ventriloquists and hypnotists and um, you know, things like that. And, um, and so they do all their programming, you know, in, in one shot, uh, hopefully, but they also get to, um, 
be educated uh, and they have ed sessions that are put on by, you know, some of them are put on by staff members from the universities, the students put them on, present them, um, you know, the, the associates, the agents um, also present them on, on all kinds of topics. Um, and, and, you know, we, we do several of those um, a year um, and it's a good way to network and good way to learn um, from your peers uh at those ed sessions especially if the students are putting them on um but yeah it's it's the it's i mean nac has been around 40 plus years now uh or no wait i think we might have been we might have hit 50. they might have hit 50. um but you know sadly as as everything else is you know the NAC is, is shifted to doing they did two virtual weekends in the fall and then they're doing four days of virtual conference next week um so it's a, a lot different uh, it was a year ago at this time that i took my last flight to NACA in denver there it is adam i had one thing to add about NACA. i think our NACA membership number is two that's how long we've been uh in, involved with the organization that's bullshit uh, who's one uh, is it, is it one APA? of the speaker agencies the speaker or the agencies? film companies. Yeah, but it, it is uh, ridiculous. We have in the old office a map that NACA used to send out before they were called NACA that has like every school in the country. It's like a giant wall poster of colleges that probably a hundred of them don't exist anymore. Um, but I always think that's funny when people, how long you been in NACA? I don't know, all the time. So we've been there Do you forever. have that? You have that picture still? Yeah, it's it's rolled up at Harris's house someplace. We have it. Can you get a photo of that to us? We can include that in the rollout here just to show the arc of the college campus yeah, if, business. If he can find it, yes. Well, we will get it for you. Yeah, NACA used to be 11 regions, and now it's broken down to seven regions. It's been that way for a handful of years. But yeah, back, back in the day when I first started, I, I would go to all 11 regional conferences. Because Dave was an idiot. That no, sounds that's, that's so true. much fun. Still an idiot. So much fun. That was brutal. So Adam, touch, t tell us about the role of a middle agent. Sure. A middle agent's job is to help schools create the live event experiences they want to create. It's not to sell them anything. It's to help them come up with ideas, flesh out ideas, execute those ideas, and to make them as successful as possible. Successful means different things to different people. Could be filling seats, could be accomplishing a certain goal. Um, and every school wants and needs different things and help from a middle agent. Some want buying power and leverage. Others want experience. Others want uh, like handholding throughout the entire process. Some want help with this, help with that. The way that I generally describe it is you have a box on your desk that says spring fling and it's filled to the top with all the pieces of it. You can take that box, dump it on our desk and say, take care of this. You know, here's the basic parameters, get us from A to Z. And because every school wants and needs different things, what school may take back some of those pieces throughout the process, may change the role that they want you to play. And that's fine. For us, it's all the same job to get you from the start to the finish, regardless of what road it takes. And it's, it's never a straight path. There's always variety and whatever cliches you want to use about getting on the road here and off the road there and who's driving the bus, it doesn't matter. It's to help them create what they want to create and to play the role that they want us uh, to play. And 
you know, educational components can be a really big part of it. Other times it's, it's not, it's, it's up to the buyers to tell us what they want us to do. And it's our job to get it done. So I always thought of the very simplistic way of describing a middle agent is essentially that of talent buyer. Mm -hmm. But as you're saying, it involves a lot more in terms of the production, in terms of the handholding, what have you. I, for those of our listeners that are not familiar with the, the college space nearly as well, a lot of our listeners are, some of them are students, some of them more so in the music business side, I believe. Some of them are, you know, 40, 50-year-old people that, uh, you know, have been roadies all of their life that really don't know the campus programming world. Can you can you put it in, in terms that they will understand a little better about what exactly a middle agent does? Sure. We, we are the talent buyer. Uh, we are the contract negotiator. We work on uh, advanced work. We work on marketing. We work on day show staffing and activation. And uh, we work with artists for their requirements, schools for their requirements. A lot of times we're, we are just a buffer between what can be the interesting world of college politics and paperwork and the needs of the artist. It's, it's a jack of all trades, really, where we are inserted any place that is needed to help make a successful event. Um, from, again, it's as square one of finding potential artists that are available that match the criteria of the school to creating offers and doing contracts to everything throughout the entire process. So three weeks afterwards, where we're doing group discussions and focus groups on the success of the events and what needs to change and the viability of, of continuing it. To me, and Dave, I'll turn this back to you. To me, what you described is very much the role of a promoter. This is what Live Nation does when it goes into a, a new venue and says, let us help you to deliver the talent that fits your demo. We can source this production for you, or you can utilize your local resources. We can help you with the marketing, or you can do your own. Dave, tell me, tell me where you agree and disagree with it. Yeah, I mean, in, in essence, if you want to boil it down, yeah, that we, we are a promoter. The only difference nine times out of 10 is we don't have a, a set financial stake in things, right? You know, if a show doesn't do well, we still, you know, are, are okay. But the flip side of it, that, that is if a show tanks and a school loses a ton of money, well, you know, next semester or next year, that school might not do, a, do another show. And then we don't have that, you know, don't have a client that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we are a promoter. We are in that sense of, you know, we're, we're trying to give the buyer our expertise um, in the industry to either steer them away from one direction or steer, you know, steer them into the right direction. Um, and, you know, there are oftentimes where the major agencies actually prefer it if a school who's doing one, maybe two shows a year goes through a middle agent um, because they're getting the knowledge that, you know, a one or two time a year school doesn't get or doesn't know. Um, and so that 
you know, the, the, the school is getting a better experience, but then, you know, the flip side of that is the artist is getting a better experience because, you know, hopefully the middle agent that the school has hired knows what they're doing and is accommodating both sides of the spectrum, the artist side and the, the, the school side to make for a successful show. You know, it doesn't always work that way. You know, sometimes the a middle buyer is hired and all they're interested in, in doing is, is, is booking the show and you know who cares you know whether the artist is gonna have 20 towels for showers and and if they don't tough and and it leaves that you know it looks bad for the school you know artist leaves you know not happy or they show up and there's no coffee right coffee in the morning is always important so let's jump into that so a lot of people that do have experience in colleges having done one or two shows as Kyle, we talked to you about this pre-taping today, Dallas, I believe you said you'd done a handful by way of uh, when you were working with Dylan a number of years ago. And, and there is an impression which may or may not be a misconception uh, that at least once upon a time, what you'd get when you show up at a college is effectively whatever the fuck they want to give you. And that may or may not still be accurate. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, those misconceptions in the industry and, and the way the industry has evolved over time to overcome. Adam? Well, it's, it's not a misconception it, as a whole. There are, unfortunately, people who don't take it seriously enough, you know, and look at the responsibilities seriously enough. Um, the I think the most important piece of this to keep in mind when talking about perceptions of this is there needs to be education on both sides of the fence. For example, we spend a lot of time talking to schools about why artists ask for certain things and why this is important. And this is okay to strike, but you can't strike this. And here's why. And if it's a problem, you know, let's talk about it so everybody can deal with it. From the artist side, too. You know, a lot of folks come in with these preconceived notions, which again, some of them are true, but also there needs to be education about what schools can and can't do. Um, some real simple things. Um, energy drinks, which seems silly, but at a lot of schools, they, they simply can't do them. They're seen as stimulus, stimulants, and schools just won't let it happen. Coke schools, Pepsi schools, stuff like that. It, it's an issue for, for schools. Um, Runners, you know, not letting students get in the car with someone who isn't a student or a staff person. Uh, so it's, it goes both ways. And there are a lot of times now, a lot of what we do and a lot of our competitors do is this prep work on both sides. And sometimes you have to tell, to, uh, tell a school, look, this maybe is not the best artist for you because there are certain things they simply won't bend on. And if you can't do it, you know, you're going to have a real big problem day of show and there's a chance your show goes away. And same goes for the artist side where, hey, we've got this offer. It's, it's a great school. It's a great opportunity. They really know what they're doing, but they can't do X, Y, and Z. And if you accept the offer, I don't want to hear it later because we're telling you right now that you can't do these things. So it it's definitely goes both ways. There are schools that do fantastic jobs. There are schools where their hands are often bound by certain things that they can and cannot do. But the most important thing now is 
putting all the information out there. We tell every school, if there's anything you can't do, anything that has to happen for artists, you have to put it all out there when you start. Uh, because it's better that they say no now than get into it later. Uh, so again, it's, it's education both ways. So Adam, take that a step further. So communication is obviously the key here in terms of the dissemination of information to ensure clarity. You know, you accept the offer, you show up and the artist says, I didn't hear any of this. I didn't know any of this. Why the fuck am I using a four channel console? And I have a, you know, 12 piece band on the stage, you know, or what have you, how does that happen? Is, is that a reality or is that just a misconception? Sometimes it happens. Um, there are always, always communication breaks. Sometimes, you know, it's the school is given incorrect information by someone on their team or the wrong thing is delivered or the artist doesn't hear something. You know, we have all internally, we have all these redundant systems that we use now that we've developed over like the past 10 or 15 years to try to eliminate this as much as possible. So uh, everybody is seeing the same information during the advance and the TM and the PM and the audio guys and the video guys like, here's, here's the gear list. Take a look at this. You know, we want you to email back that you've seen it and it's okay. And this, and we get from the school, like this is, we're sending it to the, to the touring team. Or is this what's going to be provided? So there's a lot of data f flying around back and forth, but that's the easiest way to eliminate it. But it isn't always foolproof. I think one of the biggest issues we've had with situations like you're describing is in the college space. And I don't have a polite way to do this. A lot of vendors think they can just tell schools what they're going to do and then not deliver necessarily what they say they're going to deliver. We have unfortunately had this and you I'm sure you've had this issue, you know, when this was something that you did more regularly back in the day where you know, this isn't the gear that you guys agree to. Oh, well, we got this other gig and this will be fine. You know, and that that's a, I think, I don't know if it's a uniquely college thing, but it tends to happen a bunch here in the college space. Um, but the more data that's just regularly pushed back and forth, the easier it is to avoid these, these challenges. It's never foolproof. Nothing is. But uh, I think the industry as a whole has gotten past a lot of these historically problematic issues. So, so talk to us about the role of student activities then. Again, our, our premise is very much that we are looking to create a pipeline from higher education and otherwise, be it community college, be it high school, but educational pipelines into the live touring industry. And in our episode with Al Fosterly from Syracuse, it was very much about the music business side. I, for one, believe that music business schools aren't doing enough to promote the live events industry. They promote the recording industry. They promote publishing and what have you, um, where there are more corporate jobs available uh, to, to be done. Um, but even Ulf, in his discussion with us last week, talked about the programming, being, excuse me, the programming department, the student activities department being the best way to get hands-on experience in live events as a pipeline or, you know, just exposure to the concert industry at large. So how, what are student activities offices, programming departments doing to create these opportunities 
that allows students with an interest in the live events industry to get there. Most, Dave, well, or, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a product of that, really. You know, I didn't, granted that I didn't get into it until after I graduated and, and was working for the university, but I was able to, you know, be able to start talking to agents, um, you know, in terms of when it was, you know, negotiating contracts or, or, or uh, booking the acts um, and, you know, going through that process and so starting to make the connections with people in the industry, most, you know, more so NACA, um, you know, at Gettysburg, we used concert ideas as our middle agent. And so when it kind of, you know, came, came time to put the offers in, I, I talked with Harris Goldberg about putting the offers in when I, you know, um, was, was working there and, and made the connection with the, a NACA agency to then get a job. Um, you know, there are plenty of ed sessions that occur at NACA conferences um, that deal with getting, how do you get into the industry and, and um, you know, what are the best routes? And, you know, these the students that are on the programming boards, um, you know, and that get, go, get to go to NACA, get to meet agents. Um, and, you know, that's the one side. And, and we kind of had this discussion earlier before a recording, but, you know, why aren't these kids getting into the, the industry? And they see the glory side of it, right? They see NACA, they see us just standing, you know, in our booth or, you know, at a showcase. They don't see us in the office, you know, for 10, 12 hours a day. And so there's, you know, a, a misconception of what an, being an agent is like, or, you know, what being on the road is like as a touring professional. And, and they think it's all glitz and glory. And it is anything but that when you start, and you have to start someplace, right, you have to start on the basement instead of the penthouse, which a lot of them want to do. Um, and, it, you know, it's not the reality. Adam? I think I'm a product of it too, you know, did it as a student, rolled right into it. Um, the most important thing that student activities departments can do is give students boots to the ground experience. That's what I always call it. Hands-on doing stuff, whether it's hanging posters, moving road cases, reading a contract, getting committees together, assigning tasks. So many students in, who participate in activities are amazed when they realize the skills that they've developed and they didn't know they were developing them. Time management, uh, being the heavy sometimes and telling people you can't do this, you have to do this, you're on the committee, I'm in charge, stuff like that. Um, but boots to the ground, I think is the most important thing. I don't have a lot of experience with uh, music industry classes or things like that. On the rare occasions that we hire, when people uh, send us resumes, if they emphasize music industry stuff, and they don't have experience doing things, uh, to be blunt, I'm not interested. What have you done? I mean, I'm sure for, you know, Kyle and Christine, when they're looking for people or, or you know, maybe thinking about being people under the team, you care about what they've done, not necessarily what, what they've studied. Um, to, can I share a success, uh, success story with a student who is a perfect example of this? Um, Recent graduate, I'll name drop a school here, of Elon University in North Carolina, was the concert chair for, for four years. And uh, his resume is better than mine. And he's uh, 25. 
uh, his he was all in all day every day with student activities, student government, anything that he could do because he loved it. And he was an extremely hard worker and did everything he could to gain experience. Uh, now he helps run live events for the NFL. He was one of the principals on the ground for the halftime show this past year. And that was his second time doing it. Uh, so it's a great example. You know, I don't have any idea what he studied. I have no idea what his GPA is. But his experience is going back to when he was in high school. And he's like, yeah, I was the guy with the orange um, flashlight at the, at the parking lot at the local amphitheater saying, go like this and go like that. But he's done everything. And he's almost writing his own ticket now for the things that he wants to do. So it's, it's great. It's all just boots to the ground. That's, that is, the mo in my opinion, the most important thing that student life departments are giving to students. So I'm going to say something a little bit provocative now. And I remember a time many years ago, at least 15 years ago, I'd written something that Harris Goldberg, your former employer, owner of Concert Ideas for many years, uh, called me on and it referenced our role in the music industry. And he called me and I'll never forget it. He said, do you think you work in the music industry? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, in 30 years in this business, I've never once considered myself somebody who works in the music industry. He said, I sell contracts, processing, processing paper. I sell product. I, it, it, it can be music or not. I, I've never considered myself one who works in the music industry. And I've always taken exception to that. So tell me again why that's wrong, but more directly since, again, I'm being provocative, but I don't feel like you answer my question about creating pipelines to working in the live events industry because the amazing story you just told me adam was about a self-starter who really made these things happen for himself and that's hugely impressive and we here talk about the importance of being an entrepreneur here at a hustle like you broke the importance of that hustle that drive that entrepreneurial spirit but how do student activities departments and middle agents create a pipeline, not just to agencies like you said, Dave, but into roles as tour managers and production managers and high tech individuals working in lighting and sound and video, et cetera. Adam, well, you go first, Dave, then I'll chime in. I, I mean, I think the amount of people that are on a program board that actually have interest in being in the music industry or the entertainment industry as a whole is minimal compared with the amount of students that are on the program board that then graduate and go to grad school so they can continue on into higher education. And so it's not, I don't, it's not necessarily that the student activities, they should have a better pipeline, but that's not what their pipeline is. Their pipeline is more of getting these students to go into higher education after they graduate. Um, there are some schools that, that I work with that have very strong um, theater programs that provide 
students as labor and techs for their shows. And those are the schools that are providing pipelines to the industry in terms of touring professionals, you know, tour managers and, and, you know, lighting techs and, and sound techs. Uh, those are the ones, I mean, you, you do have a handful of kids that really have a genuine interest in, you know, going into the entertainment industry. And those are the ones that we get and we see succeed. Um, but I think that's, you know, student activities, um, pipeline is more the pipeline to higher education. I think what you could, what some schools do and others could do more of if they're interested is educate students about the importance of networking in the industry and the appropriate organizations to belong to the importance of communicating with touring staff when they're on campus. That's one thing we tell people all the time. Hey, if you're interested in going on the road, when you bring a band, you find the time to talk to the touring team who's coming, pick their brains. How did they start? Who do they network with? What recommendations do they have? Um, so, but like they said, this isn't the majority of people that we see, but I think if schools could encourage that even more and even make available information on these are networks you could join, these are organizations you could reach out to. I believe there's also the opportunity for uh, more, this, let's use the current state of things, you know, virtual interaction with touring staff like Christine and Kyle. Hey, we want to set something up for anyone who's interested in the industry, right? Do you know, we're going to do a 60 minute, you know, Q and A at, at some point, you know, using your resource here as a, as a, as a networking tool. But these are things that I think schools can do. Some do it really well, but they're easy things for them to, in my opinion, expand upon because part, you know, education is the cornerstone of all of it. You're just educating the students, giving them more tools to use themselves to potentially pursue this, uh, you know, this avenue of profession. So for as long as I've been aware of campus programming and middle agencies, Concert Ideas has always been an, a leader, if not the leader, the largest of the agencies going back again. I first became aware of this world 20 years ago. When when I was in college, I didn't work, uh, or I wasn't part of the, the activities board, although there were a few times I was roped in to help load in shows. I, I was a part of building a Mighty Mighty Boston's show once upon a time. I distinctly remember. Um, that makes me old, I realize. Um, Kyle, of course, we've talked about, he had specific experience in audio, though not so much necessarily in programming. But I think you raise a good point, Adam, about, you know, those day of show opportunities to, to engage with, with the tours that come through and what have you. Are any of middle agencies, concert ideas or otherwise, you know, engage making those things happen, creating programs to get students you know, in front of the tour managers, production managers that come through, giving them any sort of day in the life experience or perspective or anything like that. And, and if not, you know, how can those programs be created and be made more effective? I think they're pretty easy to create you know, if, if the interest is there. You know, we have connected various students in various departments over the years. We don't have a 
standardized program in place. We kind of take it school by school, student by student. More often than not, it's connecting this student at this school with this person or some activities director is like, hey, you know, Sally's really interested in this stuff. You know, do you have any recommendations for people that they could talk to? Uh, like Dave said, it's this isn't, um, I think, the main focus for most students involved in programming, but making the connections is generally pretty easy in terms of ramping it up. That That's possible too. I think the bigger question would be, are there enough students interested uh, to do that? And I'm sure there are, but um, kind of corralling everybody at one time to do something. And we have uh, an audio person available at this time and a, an LD at this time and a tour manager at, at this time. You know, it, it would take some work, but I'm sure it's possible. But we've been much more effective on a case-by-case -case basis because then you're finding someone who tends to be a better fit, maybe, to talk to the student. Uh, particularly, or to the department particularly, as opposed to broad uh, nets, just like uh, like any any ed session, like like at NACA, you know, they want to uh, cast as wide as possible to uh, uh, accommodate as many people as possible, which is great uh, based on what they have to work with. But I think when you can tailor it, and we've just been fortunate enough to be able to do that, I think it's more beneficial to to the students. So moving on a little bit, uh, but, but speaking to the robust size of the college concert business and the opportunity there to create something and to engage more young people, we talked pre-taping today that the college business is a $50, $60 million a year industry. I, I always thought it was bigger than that, to be honest. I always thought it was a hundred plus million dollar a year industry. The amount of money that is is spent, the amount of artists that come through, the amount of people that do move on. Tell us a little bit about the evolution of the college concert business. It wasn't so long ago, there weren't even college divisions within the major agencies, but but that has changed. The, there's obviously awareness that the industry is substantial. Right now, during the pandemic, Rob Light, head of music for CAA, just said last week on a Polestar Live panel that their most active business is in the college space in this current time during the pandemic, that they did something like 150 shows last year, which in the grand scheme is not a lot of shows, but during a pandemic when people aren't working, to, to highlight the fact that colleges is as substantial a business that it is. I mean, tell us about the, the evolution. Tell us about some of the major moments in the business that's really progressed and, and, and brought it along over the years. Sure. I have, a lot of it comes down to, uh, on the most basic levels, increased communication with all sides. You know, as the middle agency, agency marketplace developed and more people came into fray, some good, some bad, but communication increased, awareness of the marketplace increased. As schools started to produce more professional events, not necessarily successful, but professional, a lot of the stigmas went away. Um, as more schools started to produce large events and it became more acceptable to do larger events, 
more bands started to take a, a chance on it. It kind of, curiously enough, the expansion of the student life role in live entertainment coincided, I believe, with the downslide of college radio. Um, as college radio started to mean less on colleges and as an entity, programming in the student life space, for whatever reason, started to increase. Uh, maybe one was taking over the role for the other. Um, you mentioned about uh, the role of major agencies starting to pay more attention uh, to what's going on. And some some folks still don't like it, and that's fine. If it's not the right marketplace for you and you actually don't want it, that's totally cool. Um, I'm all right to name drop someone if it's if it's on a positive way, right? I can I'm not putting anybody on the bus and putting the positive negative. Someone. Bring it. All right, that was yeah. like a little bit of fun. <laughs> Come on, let's all have right. some fun here. Right, we'll do some good stuff. It's just us. We're just on the bus. There's no we're on right. the bus. Nobody it's else right. here right now. Ain't nobody gonna tell nobody. Okay, uh, Buster Phillips now at William Morris. When he was at a different uh, location, uh, was in a, an assistant and became an agent, and he was kind of tasked with the college space. And we're great guy, uh, very down to earth. And we would talk a lot about the role of the marketplace and how it was perceived internally there and why schools do certain things. And Buster changed live entertainment in the college space. It's, it's him. I always point the finger at him because he started to collect data on how much schools do, revenue that is generated, acts that get a lot of college play, even when they weren't his acts. So he'd be like, why aren't we going after this marketplace? And it was a he had a direct impact on business. Ron Opaleski also uh, was very big into pop punk stuff at one point. That was a big piece of his roster, which is very popular in the college space. A lot of conversations about how do I get my acts in here? Why do, you know, how do schools do stuff? And it's education on both sides. You know, we, we had to learn like, why does your band want this? And why are they pain in the ass about this and that, the other thing. And they had her and they had her like, well, this is, if you want to play the college market, this is what you got to do. But you know, this was all, I know, Dave and Matt, you can help me out. maybe late, late nineties, early two thousands when this stuff really started to change. And it just, it went like this. You know, and somewhere I have statistics on spending habits of schools and how a certain point the school spending kind of like that middle sort of money dropped and there were schools spending just not as much, but the number of people spending more money went up. And I think it's somewhere around that time period. And it has to do with, you know, agents kind of thing. All right, if we want this, if we want a piece of this, this is what we need to do. And schools also being like, if we want this, this is how we go about getting it. And some schools have developed these amazing, amazing programs, like doing stuff that like is uh, like promoter level quality stuff with volume and the way they handle it and the uh, professionalism of, of things. Uh, you know, Dave does moving on at Penn State, which is, you know, a stable of large events. He gets called all the time. How do we, how do we play moving on? How do we play moving on? You know, so it, it's, it goes both ways, but I really always point to Buster and to Ron and those conversations that opened our eyes. And I don't want to say we opened our eyes, but we, we gave them data that, that helped. And it's, it's a clear path from there. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, every one of the major agencies has at least one, if not two, 
agents that are dedicated to the college market and they, they cover the whole roster, you know, and, and back, you know, when I started in 2000, you know, you would have to go to each individual agent RA and it was a pain. Like it was, it was not productive. It wasted a lot of our time. And, and now we can go to one or two agents per agency and, and get the data and get the information that we need in a very timely fashion. And it, and it turns into bookings more often than not, you know, for these acts, um, you know, and, and, and as Adam touched upon, you know, I do, you know, have Penn state with moving on and, and it is, it's known among the agencies, um, which lends itself to, and as cliche as it sounds, it's, it's, it's all word of mouth. You know, if, if, you're at a school and you have an artist that has a horrible experience uh, that's going to make it around you know so and and maybe sour other artists on that school um so you you know the schools have to be careful and that's why we put so much effort into making sure that both sides have a good experience when they're on a college campus um you know the the, the other thing and you know we were talking about to Kyle off offline about this, you know, when he, he was out with, with an act, you know, nobody knew who that act was two weeks later, everybody did. And, and we've done, we've dealt with a couple acts like that, that when we booked those acts, nobody knew who they were. We were, you know, taking a risk with putting it out there to the schools. And by the time the show played, um, you know, it, it was a sellout in an arena. You know, I did I did Nickelback at one point where, you know, I was paying them chump change. And the next thing you know, you know, by the time we booked it and when I played, two singles had come out. You know, I sold 5,000 tickets for the this, this school in, in their arena. There, there's a handful of those stories like that, you know, 21 Pilots. Um, That's my favorite story about this is 21 Pilots. And this this circles back to the changing relationship between middle agents and, and agencies, um, how they see the value of the marketplace and that artists can develop there. I mean, one of the first acts to really make it in the college space was Guster, right? I mean, everybody knows him. But they, they, they played, I think, every college in the United States three times. Um, but they were happy to have them back over and over again because they got the college space. They realized how good it was for them. And you cannot find a school that had a bad Guster experience. It, it does not exist. Um, but like 21 Pilots, when they they came to us and like, hey, oh, we got this act and we think they'd be great for the college space. And they sent us uh, some material and we were all like, holy shit, like this is the perfect college act. And this plays in also to the role of middle agent. We would go to schools like trust us. It's not a lot of money right now, but just do it. You know, it doesn't matter to us if you do, but we're making us really, really strong recommendation to you to do this. And we did our first date with them uh, was an opening act, I think, for Panic at the Disco in Florida. And I remember Panic or Thirty Second. Yeah, and I remember watching the students watching an opening act that they'd never seen, you know, and Tyler and Josh are doing the thing and the kids, are, it's rapt attention. Right. And like this, there's something here. And then we did a show for them. They played for like 25 people in a student union 
and they brought the drums out and played in the middle of the students. And while the show is going on, the students, this is something that I tell you all the time, the students are texting their friends, not saying, you know, this is a great band. They're texting them, you should bring this band to your school, which is something that I think not enough folks think about when bands go play schools. They're not telling their friends at other colleges how fun they are. They're saying, bring them to your school. And, you know, and, and then the rest is history with 21 Pilots. You know, they're massive success. But they really embraced the college market, you know, just like so many bands before them. They saw it. The market gave it right back. And then, you know, in a span of, what, two years maybe, three years, they were so far above and beyond it. But it was great. It was absolutely great to see it happen. It was two years. I mean, I remember, you know, the same opening act type thing, right? You know, um, in March of a year, I think it was. And then by April, I think it was April of that same year, I had booked them in Cincinnati uh, at the school's arena. And we did 8,500 or something like that. And that was their biggest show. And at that point they were talking about doing like two shows in Columbus, you know, hometown shows. And they were like, all right, how do we go about this? And, you know, to see that progression and then to stand on, you know, stand on side stage while they headlined Boston calling two years ago was, it was, uh, for me, that was like a a really cool experience to see these guys that, you know, take off like that and really appreciate and still be humble about it. Um, Those are unique experiences. Well, this episode turned into a long one. So we're going to wrap part one right there and pick it up next time with more on Guster, Third Eye Blind, the challenges and opportunities in campus programs, and more on creating pipelines to entry in the business. We recognize This is new territory for many of our listeners. We appreciate you being with us as always. So until the next time, we appreciate your support. We thank you and we wish you good night. Hey, this is Tech Support. Want to make sure you never miss the newest from Hustle Like You Broke? Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at HLUB Podcast and sign up for our mailing list by going to hustlelikeyoubroke.com slash join. You'll get updates about new episodes, bonus content, exclusive offers, and information on how to become a part of the music industry. Thanks for listening.